0: we going go to 2 Corinthians chapter 4 this morning. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and um, we've been in this new series, this new theme for our entire year is firm foundation, and uh, looking at how do we build our lives, how do we build our, our families, our, our homes, our everything on the firm foundation that is Jesus Christ and His Word. And, uh, and now in this part of the, the sermon series, um, we're looking at how is our church, how is Harvest Church founded on the firm foundation of Jesus Christ and His Word. And I'm uh, taking you through just kind of the, the main uh, ideas or the main, um, what we call our pillars here at Harvest that are the foundation of how we think about ministry and how we go about making disciples. And today we're going to talk about our first pillar, unapologetic preaching. And so Paul addresses that here in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6, is where we're going to land this morning, verses 1 through 6 as we dig into this together. And now, before I jump in, let me just kind of put a little disclaimer out there. Um, the pastor's not here today to preach about what I do, okay? Like, this, this message isn't primarily about how I preach to you. It's about how we as a church preach and teach and talk about the Word of God, how we proclaim it to one another and to all those around us. So don't zone out as if this message doesn't apply to you because you're not a preacher, okay? Um, this applies to all of us, and you're going to see that as we dig into the text this morning, um, I know for some of us, it's been a little while since maybe we had babies or little guys in our house. For some of us, it's right now. But um, but regardless of what generation you parented in, um, there's one game that I've noticed just seems to be like kind of a universal game for all parents for all times, and that's the I can't see you game. You know, where you like cover your eyes and like, where are they at? I can't see Tommy. Where'd he go? There he is, right? Like, You've, who's done that? Come on, don't laugh at me like, you're, like I'm the only one. right? Like this is just, it just, this is just the way it works. And what's funny about it is the child, when they're little, they really believe you. Like They think by covering your eyes for three seconds that they somehow have disappeared and you can't find them. And that because you can't see them, they no longer exist in some supernatural way. Until they get a little bit older and then they learn how to kind of pull your hands back. Like, here I am, right? And, and now they're, they're like, if you see me, then I'm here again. I exist. That game is the exact same game that many, many people in our culture are playing today with the Lord. They're under this false assumption that if I can't see you, if I don't know you, if I don't believe in you, then you simply don't exist. If I don't understand, if I don't have the word in front of me, if I I just don't see the Lord, then he doesn't exist and I can just do whatever I want. But we know from God's word that that is sorely mistaken, and it's a dangerous game to play. One author I was reading this week said it this way He said, The sun doesn't cease to be the sun simply because the blind can't see it. Likewise, the Lord God does not cease to be God simply because certain people in our world refuse to see him or refuse to acknowledge that he exists. And so it's our job as the people of God, those who have seen, whose eyes have been opened to the truth of the gospel, it's our job to now go and proclaim, to teach, to preach the light of the gospel to those who are in desperate need to see it. And so this morning what we're going to see as Paul dives into 2 Corinthians chapter 4 is this, that we preach the light and God gives the sight. We need to keep our roles clear. It's not just on us. We preach We're called to preach the light of the gospel, and then God gives the sight to those who are still wandering around in spiritual blindness. And so Paul digs in here in verse 1. He starts off here. Read with me. Follow along with me. It says, Therefore, having this ministry, by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart, but we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways, For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. The first thing that we see here from Paul, point number one this morning is this, preach as if God can see. Preach as if God can see, because of course he can. Now, verse 1 starts, and it says, therefore. So before we even dive into the text, just a little Bible study tip for you this morning. If you haven't gotten this far yet in in your growth in studying God's word, anytime you see a word like therefore or any other connecting word, it's a signal to you that what Paul's about to say is somehow connected to what he just said right? It's a bridge between the last chapter or two chapters and this chapter, chapter four. And so we kind of have to know what he already said in order for this to make sense. When you're studying the Bible, it is immensely important that you understand the context around a verse to be able to correctly understand what it's saying to you. And in the previous couple chapters, Paul has been addressing for the Corinthians this issue of false teachers versus true teachers. Those who are falsely preaching God's word versus those who are correctly and truly preaching God's word, as Paul is doing, and he's now going to expand on that. He says, so therefore, having this ministry, Paul's talking about his ministry that he has been given by God to proclaim, to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ and the truth of God's word. And this is connected back to specifically 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 17. Look in your Bibles, maybe on the previous page there. 2 Corinthians 2.17, he says this. He says, for we, talking about himself and his co-laborers, are not like so many peddlers of God's word. But as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God, in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. Paul's saying we're not like these other guys. We have been given a ministry by God to preach the truth of his word. That's why back in chapter 4 again in verse 1, he says, having this ministry by the mercy of God. Paul was very clear. He did not get this because he was awesome. All right? It wasn't because of his ability or his intelligence or his charisma that he was chosen. In fact, the Greek here literally um, reads more like this. Like, God, that he, or I'm sorry, Paul got this ministry is because he was mercied by God. It's like a verb. <laughs> it's like, yeah, like, like God just, like, mercied him, and then all of a sudden he got to preach the gospel. And if you know Paul's story, that's exactly what happened, right? He was going about trying to, to, to end the church of God. He was trying to kill Christians. He was trying to kill Christianity. And God just shows up and miraculously changes his life and pulls him out of that and sets him on a course to go and preach the gospel all over the world. And so he was given this mercy by, he was given this ministry by God's mercy toward him, not because of anything he did, He says, So I have this ministry because of the mercy of God, and so therefore we do not lose heart, which literally means we don't pull back. We don't retreat. We don't get timid in the face of opposition. On the contrary, if you, again, if you know Paul's story through Acts, he preached with boldness over and over again in every city despite many afflictions, much opposition, many attacks against him. Because he knew he was called to fulfill the ministry by the mercy of God. He says, We do not lose heart. Instead, he says, We have renounced, we have rejected these false preaching practices that he's just called out in the previous couple chapters. And he names three of them right here. He says, We've renounced disgraceful and underhanded ways. He says that it's the idea of of concealing or or trying to hide parts of God's word in order to meet your own personal agenda. right? Like we're going to take this part, but we're going to leave that part out because that doesn't really fit what we're wanting to do. He says we we renounce disgraceful, underhanded ways. We've renounced cunning, which is really interesting. He uses that exact same word to describe Satan himself as the serpent in the garden when he's tempting Adam and Eve to lead them astray. That's in 2 Corinthians 11.3. And and right here he's saying we, we don't preach with deception in order to lead people astray, to lead them away from the Lord, but rather to the Lord. And then he says we've renounced tampering with God's word. The phrase tampering there he actually pulled from the marketplace. It was the phrase that was used to describe the merchants who would take the wine and dilute it with water so they could sell more of it. He says, we don't dilute God's word with man's ideas so we make it more palatable and we can sell more of it. We don't tamper with it, he says. And all three of these practices are examples of these peddlers of God's word that he's just talked about back in chapter 2. Where they're manipulating God's word and manipulating the people to fit their own personal agenda for their own personal gain and not for the glory of God. They're preaching for themselves, not for the Lord. And in contrast, Paul says, but we preach by the open statement of truth. That's what Paul preached. The clear, simple, authoritative gospel message. Nothing added, nothing taken away, nothing twisted or edited for his benefit. Just the unadulterated truth of God and his word. He says, we preach the open statement. Like, you can see it. It's open for everyone to see. And he says, by this, we would commend ourselves to you. So he's actually inviting them. He's like, hey, come. Come and see. Come and test it. We'll lay it out all open for everyone to see. You can come and test it with your own mind, with your own heart, to see if indeed this is the truth. But ultimately, that actually wasn't his main concern here. He says, we preach the open statement of truth for all to see. You can come and see it. In the sight of God. Second time he said that in two chapters. See, Paul understood something about preaching. That the actual true audience of all preaching is God. It's not us. I don't preach for you. You don't speak the truth of God for other people. You speak it to be faithful to the God who opened your eyes to the beauty of the gospel and to proclaim the excellencies of him who has saved us from death and hell. We preach in the sight of God because he is worthy. He is the one we're seeking to please and glorify. He is the one who ultimately judge our faithfulness to speak the truth and our hearts behind the message that we're giving and so we preach the truth of God because he is worthy and because he is watching. And we want to honor him in our speaking and preaching. You know, my, my first career out of college was actually not this. I was not a, a pastor. I was actually a school teacher. And so I taught in a public school for several years. And as a teacher, you know, there are certain rules and certain requirements that you're supposed to fulfill in your classroom, right? Like there's certain things you're supposed to do and go by and whatever, it could be instructional practices, could be behavioral things, could be, you know, assessment practices, whatever the things are. And so, and, and, and just to be honest with you, there's a lot of them. <laughs> like there's a lot that we put on our teachers that they have to cover and do and, and finesse all of this in their classrooms. And so, just full confession this morning, there were times where I got a little bit laxed on some of the requirements, right? Like, I'm just like, yeah, that's not super important. We're gonna let that one slide today. You know, so-and-so's having a bad day, whatever the thing is. And so you kind of just kind of coast a little bit sometimes because you can't hit it all all the time. But the one day that I was sure that that changed was when my principal would come in to observe me teaching. I don't know if you know this, but teachers get evaluated a couple times a year by their principal to see, like, are they doing a good job? Is everything going well? And when the principal came in, I, was made, I made sure I hit every requirement and every rule and everything was just the way it should be because my boss was in the room and he was watching. Right? And in that moment, on those days, I was no longer teaching for me or for the kids. I was teaching for him because on that day, his opinion was the only one that mattered in terms of my job. Paul is saying that we should preach like that all the time. Because we have a God who is always watching. And the message that we bring is more important and more impactful than anything else we could ever teach or say. And so it's important that every moment, every day, when we speak the truth of God's word, we're doing it with an audience of the Lord watching. We're doing it for Him and for His glory. Not for us, not for the listeners. Unapologetic preaching seeks to please God, not men. And that's what we're going for here at Harvest. That's what I hope you're going for in your life as you talk to others about the Lord. We preach the truth of God's Word. We preach the truth of God's Word. Nothing more, nothing less. So we preach as if God can see. That's number 1. But then Paul goes on, look at verse 3. He says, "And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case the god of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God." Point number 2, preach as if man cannot. Preach as if God can see and preach as if man cannot because Paul says here, many men in our world are blind, they are veiled to the truth of the gospel. This veil that he's talking about here, he says it's only for the perishing, only for those who have not put their faith in Jesus Christ, but the veil is actually a metaphor that he's used back in chapter 3 and he's now carrying it over into chapter 4 and it's the picture of having something that's covering your eyes so that you can't see what's on the other side. But back in chapter 3, the the Jews, he said, had a veil not over their eyes, but they had a veil over their hearts. And that they couldn't see the truth about who Jesus was. They couldn't see that he was truly the Messiah because the veil was over their hearts because their hearts were hard towards God. That they lacked true faith to see that the Messiah had indeed come. Likewise today... And in Paul's day, many people today cannot see the truth of the gospel. They cannot see the truth of who Jesus is because there is a veil over their hearts. Because they're hard-hearted towards the Lord and they're stuck in their sin. They don't have the faith to see. Many of you experienced this yourselves before you came to Jesus. Think back to your previous days, your previous life, how many times, how many times did you hear the gospel but didn't hear it? How many times was God's word opened and read in front of you or you read it in some context and you didn't understand it? How many times did you sit in church and you're like, I just don't get it, I don't see it? Because there was a veil over your heart. You needed someone to lift that veil so that you could see and believe. Paul said that there's a veil, that the gospel is veiled to them because of the God of this world. Some translations say the God of this age. And notice the God there is lowercase g. That's important. Because he's not talking about God the Father, he's talking about Satan. Paul's using that as a a title for satan because satan has a a temporary limited authority on the earth because god has allowed it he has a temporary limited authority on this earth where he can tempt people to sin where he can rule in sinful ways over men in various arenas but again it's temporary He he never has nor has he ever had absolute authority Satan and God aren't equal, like they're fighting it out, and we have to wait and see which one's going to win. Satan's never had absolute authority. God is the only one who's had absolute authority, and for a time, he has allowed Satan to be the tempter of this world and to rule over this reign. But one day, Jesus is coming back, and all that's going to end. And he will be defeated, and God will take over absolute authority of everything, including the earth. But for now, Paul says, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers. Notice, this is an active work on his part. Like right now, Satan is actively working to blind and keep blind those who are far from Jesus Christ. You see, me and you, we were all created with perfect vision to see and to worship the one true God. We were created with this longing inside of us to believe and to worship the God of this universe. But the problem is we're born also with this sin nature that blinds us, distorts our vision, and we can't find him on our own. And there's two ways that, the, the, that Satan works to blind the men and women of this world. The first is with that sin nature. When we're born with the sin nature that we inherit from our ancestors, it's like we're seeing through cracked lenses. You ever had a, a pair of glasses that just like all cracked and you're trying to look through and you can kind of see, but it's all distorted because the glass is all cracked? That's what sin does to us. We can kind of see, but it distorts everything. It distorts our view of God. It distorts our view of ourselves. It distorts our view of the world and sin and all these things, and we can't see clearly because we're blinded by our own sin nature. And then on top of that, Satan also works to blind us through the sinful world system that he has created and continues to grow and feed here on the earth. And that sinful world system that he is continuing to pour into, it's like an an all-consuming darkness that's seeking to drown out all sources of light. If I could give you an analogy, it's kind, of like, it's kind of like walking into a dark cave. Have you ever been in a cave? And you, and you walk in, and when you first walk in, it's so dark, you, you can't see anything. But if you stand there long enough, you stand still and you kind of just let your eyes do their job, eventually they start looking for, and they start searching out even the smallest sources of light. And pretty soon they adjust to that light, and they can see a little bit, Right? They can't see perfectly because there's still a lot of darkness, but they can see some because they found a little bit of light. But the deeper and deeper you walk into that cave, the deeper you walk into that darkness, eventually you can't see anything. Because all the light's gone, and you're just blind in the darkness. Likewise, as we walk in this world, as we walk in the world system of darkness here that on the earth that Satan has created the more and more we walk in that system, the deeper we walk into that darkness, the harder and harder it is to see the light of Jesus and the light of the gospel. The only way we overcome that blindness is to turn away from the dark system and to start walking back towards the light so that we're able to see the truth of who God is. And Satan uses this to blind us, to blind Mankind, and that is exactly Satan goal, Satan's goal, Paul says here, to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel. The illuminating truth of God's love and God's grace for all of those who are lost in the darkness of sin. He doesn't want them to find that because then they'll know that there's an, another option, that there's a rescue, that there's a better way. And he describes this light of the gospel as the glory of Christ who is the image of God. Jesus said this about himself in John, but Christ came to the earth to be our light. Like This is the reason Jesus came, was to be the true image of God, to show us the true glory of God so that we could finally actually see who God actually is. For the light of Jesus to cut through our blindness and he shows us the truth about God And he also shows us the truth about us and how much we need him. That's what light does, right? When you're in the darkness, you can't see the truth. Things are covered. But when the light comes, you can finally see what's really there. Jesus came to show us. We're born blind, but Jesus is the one who can give us new sight and help us see the true image of God. So we can turn to him in faith. As I was thinking through this whole idea of blindness this week and sight and vision, and how, how many of you in here, you wear some form of glasses or contacts for something? Look around, all right? How, okay, now, second, second question. How many of you, like if you lost your glasses or they got broke last night or something happened and, and you didn't have them, you could still get through the day. Like, they're helpful, but you could get through the day without them. Who's in that camp? Okay. <laughs> all right. Who's on the other side that, like, if you didn't have your glasses, you're probably running into a wall when you get out of bed, right? Like, yeah, all right. That's our house, right? Like, me, like, I, I, mine are helpful, but I, can, I could function if I had to without them. Courtney, like, if she doesn't have hers, like, somebody's going to the hospital. Like, it's just going to be a bad day, okay? So... So we all understand how glasses, and con- we all understand how this works. Right? We, we get a prescription, we get some glasses, and it corrects the small errors, the small problems in our vision so that we can see, right? And if something's not working right, we go we get a new prescription and a little bit of adjustment, and then we can see again. That is not what Paul is talking about here. Paul is not talking about a little problem with your vision, he's talking about blind. Like, blind, I can't see my hand in front of my face, blind. And no prescription, no glasses, no contacts, no adjustment to anything is ever going to help that person. The only thing that's going to help that person is brand new eyes. Completely new sight. And so our job as the church, our job as believers is not to try to go to people and try to give them some new prescription, some new twist on the truth of God's word to help them see better. It's not just a little correction to their their worldview to try to help them get to a better place emotionally or that's not what they need. They need the truth of God's word that can give them new sight. So it's not our job to figure out the prescription, it's our job to preach the light of Jesus Christ so that they, blind people, can finally see who he is. We preach the light of the gospel. Because without it, men and women cannot see. So we preach as if God can see, we preach as if men cannot and then lastly, look at verse 5. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let the light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Number three today, we preach as if God gives sight. Not us, but that if God is the one. Who gives sight. That's why Paul says here, we proclaim or we preach, we teach, we speak, not ourselves. Not ourselves. Unfortunately, there are too many people in the world today, too many people in the church today who are more concerned about preaching themselves than they are about preaching Jesus Christ. They're preaching their own ability and their own gifting because they're dependent on their humor or their intelligence or their charisma, or their personality to get people back each week, to be entertaining so people will come and hear instead of giving them the truth of God's word and letting God do the, be the one who works in hearts. Some are preaching themselves by preaching their performance or their results, constantly talking about their attendance numbers or their book sales or their podcast results or their personal testimonials of all these people that have been changed by my ministry. Look at me. And it's about them and it's not about the Lord anymore. Or they preach their soapbox or their opinions. Every Sunday it's just the latest hot take on their idea about this thing or that thing in the the news or the media. Or their political or social agenda. Or their legalism that if you do it this way and this way and this way, then you'll be holy like me. And they're not getting to the point of grace in Christ Some people are preaching their own position or their own power. You need to listen to me because I have this denominational title or because I have this leadership position. That's the authority by which I preach. Some are preaching their own insights or promises. I got this new personal revelation from God last night. Let me tell you about it. Never mind that it has nothing to do with God's word, but it's good. God told me. And it's full of promises that if you just do what I say, and if you just follow these five steps to be a better person, then you'll get this wealth, and you'll get this, and you'll get this, and you'll get this, and you'll you'll be blessed. Paul says we do not preach ourselves. It's not about us, but Jesus Christ as Lord. Jesus is the only one who has ever risen from the dead. So he's the only one worthy to be preached. To proclaim his lordship means to preclude my own. I can't preach that he is Lord if I'm still trying to make it about me. Only Jesus is worthy. Only Jesus can give sight to the spiritually blind he says, so we preach Jesus Christ as Lord with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. Paul gets it. He's got, he's got it lined out correctly. He is Lord. We are just servants. We're just the servants doing his will, doing his bidding. Unapologetic preaching always seeks to make that clear. The messenger is nothing. The message is everything. It's all about Jesus and his glory. Paul says we preach Jesus Christ as Lord, and then he gives this great little illustration here at the end, this great reason. He says, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness. Now, without spelling it out for us, he's doing a callback here all the way back to creation. It's like, you remember when there was darkness and nothingness and, and only God existed, and then by his power, he spoke into existence light and life and all of creation. That same God who spoke light into darkness, he says that same God has shown that light into our hearts. Just as God is the only one powerful enough to create light from darkness, he's the only one powerful enough to create light in our hearts. I, in our hearts in our, and give us new eyes and new life and new hearts. Only God can do that. Micah can't do that. Your small group leader can't do that. Your parents can't do that. Only the Lord can give new sight and new hearts. By his power and he says he has shown into our hearts the light of the knowledge of the glory of god in the face of jesus christ notice this light this knowledge this glory of god it only comes through jesus that is the difference between christianity and every other religion that is out there today as we say there's only one way it's through jesus He's the linchpin, he's the center, it all comes back to him. This is why the gospel is so powerful and so important. The gospel tells us the truth, that we, as humans, we are blind, groping around in the darkness, in sin, rebelling against God, doing our own thing, just headed for hell and death and wrath, and we're so blind, we don't even know how to fix it. And God, out of his great love and mercy for us, he sent his own son, Jesus Christ, to come to earth as a man, to live a perfect and sinless life, to be that light and show us the glory of God, and then ultimately to go to the cross and sacrifice that life for us. To take the death and the wrath that we deserve for our sins, and he put it on himself, and he died in our place, and he went into the grave. Three days later, he rose back to life. Proving that he was God. Proving that he had conquered sin and death. And that if we would turn away from our sin and turn towards him, that the light of Jesus Christ would give us new sight. Give us new hearts. Give us new life with him. Jesus was the perfect image of God. The perfect image of his glory of his holiness, of his goodness, of his faithfulness, of his forgiveness, of his sacrificial love towards us. Jesus embodied all of that because he was 100% God, and this is the only light that will cure your spiritual blindness. I have to think that maybe Paul brings this out here, and he speaks in this way because maybe Paul knew it better than any of us. And he went forward from that day on to preach the gospel to everyone, everywhere. Paul knew firsthand what it meant for the light of the gospel to change a life. And he believed that that was the only thing that would cure the sight of all those around him who were still walking in darkness and blindness. And so he took it upon himself. That was his call, that was his ministry. And that same ministry, that same call still applies to us today. It's not over. It's obvious, right? Look around. Look at your family. Look at your coworkers. Look at your neighbors. Look at the other kids at school. Look at, we are surrounded by people who are lost in the darkness and blind to the truth of the gospel. That should break our hearts and that should compel us, like Paul, to say, therefore I have this ministry by the mercy of God to preach the light of the gospel in the sight of the Father. So we preach the lordship of Jesus Christ. The lordship. He is Lord. He's the one we follow. He's the one we serve. He's the one we need we preach the light, God gives the sight. I said it earlier in the intro, the sun doesn't cease to be the sun simply because the blind can't see it. Likewise, God doesn't cease to be God. And the gospel doesn't cease to be the gospel even when people can't see it or won't hear it. And so it's our responsibility to keep preaching. Keep preaching the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ and let God be the one who opens their eyes. That's not on us. We don't have to carry that weight. We don't have to force it. We don't have to try to pound them. We just have to preach the light of the gospel and let God do what only God can do. And here at Harvest, that is what we're committed to, to preach the authority of God's word without apology. And we believe if we continue to do that here and if you continue to do that as you go out, that we will see God change lives and change hearts and bring more and more disciples to himself. Will you stand with me let's pray and let's respond to the Lord this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, we just bow before you again. God, we recognize today, according to your word, Lord, because of your mercy in our lives, because of the grace that you have shown us, because of the way that you have called us to be followers of you, God, we believe and we confess this morning, Lord, that we have the ministry by the mercy of God to proclaim the light of the gospel. And God, we are asking, we are praying that you would use us to bring sight to, The blind in our world, Lord. Give us a passion, give us a heart, Lord, to speak the light that we have seen, that we have experienced, that has changed us. Lord, may we pass that on to others. Lord, use our church, use Harvest Church and every member in it to bring light and sight to the lost in our city. God, we are your servants. You are the Lord, we are the servants. We worship you. In Christ's name we pray.